Good morning. Take your <clears throat> Bibles or devices, whatever you use, and turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. I want to mention one thing to you, and then we'll get into where we are today in Psalm 139. Even though currently, because of the pandemic, we cannot do our monthly when we're doing our food giveaway, we're not doing the, the clothes closet because it's so tight and everybody together upstairs. And, and, but one of the things we do want to do is we still want to give away some coats as cold weather gets here. We've got some there that we're, that we're going to give away. It's our Jackson Avenue ministry through Eternal Bread and, and some other places, <clears throat> but if we will need more. So whether you're here in the building or you're watching virtually, if you've got a coat and the children's or adults that uh, you would like to donate, we're going to give those away. You can bring them here and put them in, in the wagon back over here by the Coke machine or then go to the Bartlett campus and uh, we will accumulate them there as well. So we can give them away in, in different places. So uh, if you've got a coat, uh, Feel free to bring it, and we will give it away and make good use of it, okay? Now, also today, for everybody, <coughs> pardon me, I got my, my, anytime now you get anything wrong with you, you immediately assume you have COVID-19. I've got COVID-37, I think, I don't know, you just, I've got a, my semi-annual sinus infection. When the weather changes, I get, uh, I'll get one this time of year, and I'll get one when the weather changes back, kind of like changing your clocks. You know it's coming, and you just deal with it. I've been dealing with it for about a week, and, and uh, because of certain reasons, I can't take decongestants because I'm old. And uh, as a matter of fact, Ainsley, I just can't make it. You're going to have to come up here tonight. You, come on. Oh, okay. All right. So I can't take decongestants because of my heart arrhythmia issues and some other things. So it takes a little long. Y'all feel sorry for me? No, you don't. Don't lie to me now. But anyway, I am, um, uh, Mary and I are spending a lot, awful lot of time together because of uh, what she's going through. And thanks so many of you for praying for her and all the, just please continue to do that specifically as you pray for her. Pray that her medicine gets here. It's sitting in port in LA on a boat, been there since the 14th and customs won't release it because it's coming from a foreign country. It's just sitting there. I said, can I fly out there and, and get it? I, I have a friend that lives about an hour away. Can he go get it and ship it to me? And No, just got to uh, pray customs will get to it. If she needs that medicine uh, so she can get better. And so that, that's, and thank you so much for your prayers. It's um, been a very, very difficult month, but uh, we love the Lord and we're just waiting to see how he's going to work all this out. So you keep praying. And so, back to where we are. Today, at the end of the service, we're going to share the Lord's Supper communion together. So those of you that are in the building, we've got those really nice communion elements uh, here. You can, uh, you can pretend, if you, if you don't like to taste them, you can pretend along with the rest of us. But if you didn't get one, there's some in the back. You can go back there and get it. Chad's got them whenever you, if you want to get one. We're going to do that at the end of the service. If you're at home, you can prepare now. You can go get your cookies or crackers or grape juice or potato chips or whatever you want to use. Uh, oyster crackers, I think Jesus would bless an oyster cracker last time I checked. So uh, you don't have actual communion elements bought from a, it's just funny to me that we think they're blessed. Cause we, we bought them from a company that's, it's, it has the word communion on the box. Uh, trust me, it's just a just a, matter of fact, I think the ones we're using is a piece of paper because it just uh, kind of melts in your mouth when you put it in there, a piece of paper and something that that's, looks like grape juice, but uh, ho- hopefully it won't hurt you. So I hope you get the message that when we share the Lord's Supper together, the important thing is your heart, not uh, what type of grape juice and or bread you're using. So uh, anyway, it's been done different ways, different places. We're going to do that at the end of the worship service today. So at home, you can get prepared and chocolate chip cookies or whatever you plan, apple juice, whatever you plan on using. And then here in the auditorium, we will do that together. All right, Psalm 139, if you haven't turned there already, if you'll like, take your hand out. 
and you look at the top of it, you can see we've been talking about as we're heading to the end of our sermon series on Who's Your Daddy. After I finish this one, we're going to do one last message in this series on hope. And I know you're all disappointed, and then we're going to move on to uh, something else as we head toward Christmas and a new year and see what God is doing. But this week, we're looking at Our God is All Part 3. So if you look at your handout, we've looked at number one, and our God is omniscient. He knows all. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. So I want you to notice the progression. God knows me intimately and in every possible way that I can be known. He knows me. He knew me prior to the existence of the universe. He knew everything about me, what I would do, who I would be, what he had, his plans for me. Secondly, we looked at all those things. He knows my thoughts, my life, my habits. And then the last one we dealt with, he knows my awe, A-W-E. He knows how I feel about him. And the whole point, I don't want to miss this, I want to keep coming back to it. <clears throat> the whole point of Psalm 139 is that David just steps back and absolutely revels in who his dad is, who his God is. That's what the Bible means when it talks about the fear of the Lord. That it's a reverential awe that your God, the God, the one, the only God that exists who created the universe is your dad. You know, we joked about last week when you were a kid, you always wanted to say, my dad can whip your dad and my dad can do anything. Well, guess what? Your heavenly father can do anything. And that's the one we're going to focus on today. Point three is that he's omnipotent. But point two that we dealt with last week is that he's omnipresent. He, I can never escape his presence no matter where I go. Even if I want to escape, which sometimes we do, I can't. But the other beautiful thing about that is I can't ex- escape his protection of me as well, his provision for me. That wherever I am, God is there. He was there before I got there. And again, when you're going, through, like, for example, what Mary and I are going through, specifically what she's going through, not something you would ever want in your life. You, you just don't want it. But yet God knew about it before it came to pass. He's in the middle of it with us. He will be there when we get to the other side. And he's working good in the midst of difficulty. And so I want you to notice again the progression. Not only does God know me, not only does God know everything about me. I want to focus again on the attributes. He's everywhere. I, he's omniscient. knows everything about me. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere I've ever been, everywhere I'm going to be. He's already there, and he's there simultaneously. Past, present, future don't mean anything to God. He just is. He's the great I am. And so as I deal with the present, God is in the future also, and he's working good in the present to bring me to the future. And in all of it, he wants me to never forget that I'm his dad, that he's my dad, that he loves me. So what I want you to take away from this particular aspect of our Father, the omni-attributes, as we look at those attributes, is that you realize how special you are to God as his child. That he sent Jesus Christ to die so that you can not only be redeemed and be set free from the power of sin and ultimately when you die, the presence of sin that you are saved and you get to go to heaven when you die, but that right now, God is in the middle of everything, whatever your fire is. I love the picture of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that he's walking around in the middle of that fire with them. He was with Joseph in the prison and in the pit. And wherever your fire, your pit is at the moment, and as some of you I know, very difficult times that you're going through. And for many of us, it's just difficult in general that he's right in the middle of it and he's waiting on the other side. He's going to carry you through and then you're going to be able to look back and say, that's what God was doing. If you praise his name in the middle of Job, the entire book of Job, as you read it, you're like, I feel so sorry for this guy. And yet God was using him, still using that testimony to this day that I'm going to bless God no matter what. He's blessed me. If he takes it all away, in Job's case, he did. I'm still going to bless him. And he gets it back. God's going to take care of me. He's going to carry me. 
So I already have, as a believer, I already have my eternal destination. I'm secure in Jesus Christ. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm on vacation for God right now. Until he says, okay, it's time to come home. And it, that verse on my wall, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. That's the life that a believer has. So not only does God know us, and he pursues us, and he wants to have that special intimate relationship that a father has with his child, and his parents, you understand that, how special it is to be a parent. Sometimes, maybe if you want to show by show of hands, you may not. How many have ever been frustrated as a parent? If you have anybody in here that's not been frustrated as a parent, I'd like to meet with you afterwards because apparently you're perfect and your children are perfect. Now, how many of you have ever just sat back and said, my child is just so special? Better get their hands up. They're looking, especially if they're here with you. Yeah, you, you, you think about them, and yet there are times you're like, I'm not sure I want them people, those people, them people. I'm not sure I want those people to know that's my child. We were talking about the Raymond series last week and using that as an example to do it whenever it was. And I was watching it again this week and we were sitting there watching it and, and there was a wedding going on. I don't know if you've seen the episode where Robert gets married, the, the big, the older brother, he's like six, eight, just a giant of a man and he's getting married. And they come to the point where the preacher says, and I've never done this because I'm afraid this might happen, but where the preacher says, if there's anybody here that knows any reason why these two should not be joined in holy matrimony, matrimony speak now or forever hold your peace. And so Marie, the mom, says, I've got something to say. And Robert turns to his mother and says, Mom, what are you doing? And she just interrupts the wedding because something that she wants to say. So they asked the preacher, they said, what, what do we do now? He goes, I don't know, it's never happened before. <laughs> so he says, so he turns to her and says, I guess, speak now. So she takes the next few minutes and talks about herself, what she wants, and wants to make sure this is all about whatever she thinks it needs to be. Here's the beauty of knowing who your dad is. You're special to him. So he pursues you and wants to have an intimacy with you. Now look at point three on your handout, which is where we are today. He's not only omniscient, he's not only omnipresent, but he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He can do anything. Now again, there are theologians and preachers and, and philosophies in Christendom that would tell you that that means that God will do everything you want him to do because he's all-powerful. That is not the case. Because if God would do everything that I want him to do, who's God in that relationship? I am. Now, have I ever made a mistake? Yes. And if I were God, would I make mistakes? No, God is all-powerful, but the beauty, and we, when we began this whole series on Who's Your Daddy about nine years ago, when we began this, the one thing I told you that I want you never to forget, when you look at the attributes of God, he is all of those things simultaneously holy, just, righteous, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, all the things, immutable, all the attributes that we've looked at, and as we begin to wrap this up, he's all of those things at the same time. Love. All of them. And so today, as we look, starting in verse 13 today, as we look at this idea of God being all-powerful, it's not all-powerful in the sense that he's not my cosmic genie, that he just exists so he'll do what Randy wants him to do because I have enough faith to tell him I can speak that reality and he'll do it. That's never what Scripture teaches. What, it's, what Scripture teaches is because God is my Father and he is all-powerful, he'll never do anything on my behalf that is wrong. He will not make a mistake and so I trust him by faith. I come to him and lay out my prayer needs and my requests. And then I trust him in his omniscience and his omnipotence to work it out as he 
sees fit, and I submit myself to his will. So the summary of this section, verses 13 through 18, that we're looking at today, his omnipotence, him being all-powerful, is that not only did God make me as an individual, he made me to glorify himself. So what I want you to take away from the day is two, or two things. Number one, how special you are to God, your Father. And number two, how sophisticated you are. I've never been called sophisticated in my life. But Scripture tells me I am. That I am incredibly sophisticated. Now, if you were to hang around me for any length of time, you'd go, that is not a sophisticated person. That's more like one of the Beverly Hillbillies. What God says is that you're special and that you're incredibly sophisticated as we walk through this. I want you to understand it's so so vital for believers to grip. Your self-image should come from who God says you are. Your self-image doesn't come from your peers. Especially, I know young people really struggle with this. I always, it never was a big deal for me because I always had a goofy personality and I, I just could laugh at everything, especially myself. But man, when you're young, and, I, and it's not just teenagers that struggle with peer pressure. It's just, it's not. But God says, just step back. Get your self-image, your self-confidence from the fact, I say you're special. I say you are something I made, and I don't make mistakes, and I don't make junk, and I made you exactly the way I want you to be. And my goal needs to be, I want to be exactly who my dad wants me to be. I want him to be pleased with me. And if my dad is pleased with me, what's going to be my relationship with other people? It's going to be a good one. Because I'm going to be loving, I'm going to be kind, I'm going to be unselfish. Who wouldn't want to be married to somebody like that? Who wouldn't want to have that person as a friend? That's only looking out for you, caring about you, interested in where you are, wanting to know how I can help you spiritually and bring you along. The goal is to understand from this passage how special you are, that your self-image comes from the fact God says, You're the most important thing I ever made. You're a human being. And if you're born again, you're my little boy, my little girl. Dennis Davidson, pastor that I read, talking about this passage, said this. If you don't like what you see in the mirror, man, that's a tough one, isn't it? If you don't like what you see in the mirror, you're taking your cues from this carnal world rather than your heavenly papa the incredible artisan who made you for himself. There's no one in history like you. He gave you a personality, innate abilities, spiritual gifts, and a particular purpose that sets you apart for him. That's Psalm 100, end quote. That's Psalm 139, is that David just falls on his knees and says, Lord, thank you for being my dad. I'm in awe that you would even consider me to be your son. And now, Dad, how can I please you? Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. But yet God said, I've called you to do something. Now go do it. Please understand this. If you ever think you're inadequate as a believer, Go, go through scripture and look at the people God used. What did the Apostle Paul, who wrote about a third of the Bible, of the New Testament, what did he say about himself? I'm chief among sinners. I'm an undeserving apostle. I'm an undeserving apostle. And yet God used him dramatically, still is. David was an adulterer, a murderer, and a liar. Who wrote Psalm 139, among many others? I don't know. Moses was a murderer. Peter denied Jesus and even cursed his name at the foot of the cross. 
or shortly thereby, the night he was crucified, yet Jesus used him in an incredible way to lead the early church and to write scripture. The great, he preached the great sermon on the, the day of Pentecost. You need to understand that Satan wants you to think you're inadequate. Satan wants you to think you're not worthy. None of us are worthy. That's the beauty of grace. We've already looked at that. It's the beauty of understanding that God says, I know you. I love you anyway. I made you. You're special. So let's look at, starting in verse 13, what it means that God is omnipotent. Number one, he designed me. Look at verse 13. He designed me. For you formed my inward parts. This is David reveling again on who his dad is. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. This passage, what we just read, verses 13 through 16a, it's kind of like God's ultrasound. Just kind of looking at the womb, seeing what's in there. And I know uh, now, because they had ultrasound even when, when my uh, uh, children were born, so I know what a, what a big deal it is to be able to go in there and see for the first time that human being in the womb of your wife or in your womb and to see that. Ladies, it's just incredible. I don't, I don't understand it because I'm not female. But just to realize that how special that child is and that you're going to get to be a part of his or her life for years and years and years. And God gives you that privilege. Says, and he's saying here, understand, I designed that child that you're carrying. Verse 13, the word this is the whole picture sets this passage up. Verse 13. You formed my inward parts. You covered me. The word covered means to take something and knit it together. The picture in Hebrew is you've got the intricate attention and all the detail that a seamstress would use to create a very special garment. You formed my inward parts. Verse 13. Every detail of me, including my personality, God knew about, and he put it together to make me unique, make you unique to be what God wants you to be. Verse 14, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. My soul knows this very well. Again, David's just in awe of his own personal creation. He says, I will praise you, God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The idea in Hebrew is I'm God. I'm going to publicly acknowledge you as worthy of my love, my gratitude, and my worship because you made me. I want you to stop for a minute. This is what meditating on Scripture is about. Is if nothing else, you read a passage like that and you stop. And you just begin to meditate with your father and say, Lord, I, like David, am in awe that you made me, that you want to use me. So we're going to see that he had, the next point is that he has a special plan just for me. That he knew about before he created Adam and Eve. He knew that he was going to create me and that he had a special plan for me and you. In Genesis, when it says he created man in his image, go read the creation account. Is there anything else he made in his image? No. Only human beings have the capacity to know God as a father. And so to stop and meditate on something like Psalm 139, verse 14, it's a Wow, I'm special. 
And I want people to know who my dad is because he made me this way. He knows me. He loves me. I want to publicly acknowledge that. And in verse 15, look if you look at it, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. What's going on in verse 15 is a repetition of what he's been talking about in verses 13 and 14, the focus. Now he's going to begin to look specifically at the human frame, the skeletal system. Verse 15 again, my frame was not hidden from you. That means your body, your bone, your muscles, skillfully wrought. Again, the idea of knitting and embroidering is what it means in Hebrew. That you take two things and you put them together and you begin to make them into something very special. He says, my very physical thing, your lungs, your kidneys, your heart, your liver, your stomach. All that is you, beautifully God in secret. The idea in secret means sheltered or protected. That God made you, we talked about earlier, being sophisticated. That's what I mean by sophisticated. How special and detailed the human body is. Look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. The idea in Hebrew, rolled up substance, is like an embryo. God knew me, not as a collection of cells, some would have us to believe, but as a human being. In my mom's womb, he knew me. Yet unformed, he still knew me. I'll read you some, some statistics some things to emphasize this, and then we're going to move on. A baby's heart starts to beat at about six weeks. Job chapter 10, the Bible says, You clothed me with skin and flesh, and you knit me together with bones and sinews. I want you just to think for a moment about the sophistication of the human body. Every second, more than 100,000 chemical reactions take place in your brain. Not my brain, but yours. Every second, 100,000 chemical reactions take place in your brain. It has 10 billion nerve cells to record what you see and hear. That comes to your brain through the miracle of the eye, which has 100 million receptor cells, rods and cones in each eye. Your retina has four other layers of nerve cells. Altogether, the system makes the equivalent of 10 billion calculations a second before an image even gets to the optic nerve. Once it reaches your brain, the cerebral cortex has more than a dozen separate vision centers in which to process it. Your tear ducts supply a bacteria-fighting fluid to protect your eyes from infection. The tears that fight irritants differ from the tears of sadness, which contain 24% more proteins. That's not to mention the miracle of the ear and how it translates sound waves into meaningful speech and sounds or of touch, taste, and smell. Part of your brain regulates voluntary matters such as muscle coordination and thought processes. Other parts of the brain control involuntary processes such as digestion, glandular secretions, the rate at which your heart beats, etc. How did it accidentally happen that your body could speed up your heart rate to the proper speed to meet increased oxygen demand when you exercise and slow it down when that need is met? One square inch of your skin has about 625 sweat glands. All that stuff laying on your couch. 19 feet of blood vessels and 19,000 sensory cells. That's one square inch of your skin. Working in coordination with your brain, it maintains your body at a steady 98.6 degrees under all weather conditions. Your stomach has 35 million glands, which secrete the right amounts of juices to allow your body to digest food and convert it into stored energy for your muscles. To avoid digesting itself, your stomach produces a new lining every three days. Your body is an efficient machine. To ride a bicycle for an hour at 10 miles per hour requires only 35 calories, the energy equivalent of only three tablespoons of gasoline. 
You have more than 200 bones, each shaped for its function, connected intricately to one another through lubricated joints that cannot be perfectly duplicated by modern science. More than 500 muscles connect to these bones. Some obey willful commands. Others perform their duty in response to unconscious commands from the brain. They all work together to keep us alive. The heart muscle itself beats over 103,000 times each day, pumping your blood cells at a distance a distance of 168 million miles. Coupled with that, your lungs automatically breathe in the right amount of life-giving oxygen, about 438 cubic feet each day, which just happens to be mixed in the right proportions, 20% oxygen, 80% nitrogen in our atmosphere. And that's just beginning to scratch the surface. You're incredibly sophisticated one of the most powerful computers in the world, built by IBM, this has been several years ago, could perform 280 trillion calculations a second. 280 trillion a second. There's another one that they were working on. It contained 36 moving vans full of equipment. To finish it, by the time it's finished, this, room, this computer will fill a room the size of a hockey rink and consume as much power as a small town. And the goal for this computer is to do a quadrillion calculations a second, a billion times faster than your desktop computer or your laptop. But get this, your brain processes information even faster than this. The brain carries out 10 quadrillion operations a second, 10 times faster than that computer. I was reading a story this week of a man named Whitaker Chambers, he was writing a book about how he became a Christian, what led him to trust Christ. He said one day he was sitting with his two-year-old daughter. We've all done this. You just, as a parent or a grandparent, you love to just sit and look at your children, how special they are to you. He had his two-year-old sitting on his lap, and he looked at her ear, just kind of looking at it, and he was, began to think about the ear, how beautiful and how shell-like her ear was. It was perfectly designed to catch every sound wave. It was translated, then translate that to the brain for sound. He knew something about the mechanics of the ear, and he began to think about it. He was struck by how, how impossible it is that anything so intricate, so complex, so beautifully designed could ever occur by chance. That led him to other lines of thought, and eventually he investigated the Christian position and trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And here's the point about that. God designed you as a personal testimony that he is there. We could go on example after example after example. You read here in Psalm 139, God's saying, from the moment I created the universe. I was looking at you, and I knew you, and I'm designing you in your mother's womb. That's why abortion is such a travesty. I knew you, and I had something special for you. And we need to share with our world the argument for God. Let's say they reject Jesus and reject the Bible. That's fine. Come back to what's called the ultimate apologetic. The argument for God is simple. Look at the design of a human being. It is not by chance. It could not be by chance. It's too sophisticated. Same thing with the universe, but let's just focus on the human being. The design of you is so sophisticated, it simply screams, there is a God. Now, who is he? Next point, look at verse 16, the latter part. Not only did God design me, he determined my life. End of verse 16. In your book, all my days were written, fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. This is the basis for all history. Bible prophecy. Bethlehem, the Messiah would come, for example, and Jesus fulfills that. It says, the days were fashioned for me, when there were none of them. In other words, in Hebrew it means the cut, the frame, the wonder, and the ownership of those days. All my days were written. 
God knew about me. Before he ever created the universe, not just what I would look like, who I would be, but what I was going to be doing every single day. And he had a plan for me. In Isaiah 49, Jeremiah, the Bible says this. In Isaiah, listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples, from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb, from the matrix of my mother. He's made mention of my name. And then in Jeremiah, before I formed you, Jeremiah, I knew you in the womb. Before you were born, I sanctified or set you apart. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. God's determined my life. Remember, how many mistakes does God make? He's never made one. So the best place for me to be is where? Where he wants me to be. To crawl up into his arms like that little two-year-old and say, all right, Daddy, here I am. What do you want to do with me? I trust you. Next point, verse 17. I love this. He thinks about me. Verse 17. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Verse 17. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. God wants to tend me, it's the Hebrew. He wants to pasture me. It's what the word in the original language. That's why Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. They know my voice. I know each one of them. If one wanders off, I'm going to go get it. That's how special you are. Every individual sheep matters to Jesus, including you. Jeremiah 29, the Bible says, I know the thoughts, God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God's thoughts toward me are precious. He wants me to understand the future, that it's in his hand. God's thoughts about me, verse 18. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. More in number than the sand. I want you to, again, pause for a moment and meditate on that. God thinks about you that much. More than the sand could be counted. Perpetually, he thinks, infinitely God's thinking about you. Perpetually, he's thinking about you. When I awake, I'm still with you. Every day, when I awake, God's thoughts are on me. What are we going to do today, Randy? And then the ultimate awakening, when I die and I awake, where will I be? With my daddy. In paradise. Dennis Davidson, again, quoted earlier, says this. God doesn't just set the plan in motion and look the other way. His thoughts are on you constantly. He greets you each morning with fresh mercy and new opportunities. Ready to go through the hours with you. He loves your company. He has specific plans that you alone can fulfill. You alone can fulfill. That's how special you are. So let's quickly hit point four. We're going to be done. No, you didn't think we could possibly do this, but we're going. So in light of all that we said about the omni attributes of God, it comes down to this. When you study scripture, it always comes down to this. What do I need to do? Well, number one, I need to understand God's all I need. He's all powerful. He's all present. He's all knowing. And he's all I need to have a life that's meaningful purposeful, and happy. So David kind of switches gears here. When you get down to the, to the end of this psalm, just want to hit it briefly, and then we're done. Verse 19, first thing, I want God to teach me. What would you 
Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. They speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I hate them? Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Here's what David is saying. He's in such awe of his God. Here's his attitude. We need to really understand this because we get there sometimes. Lord, I love you. I love you so much. I hate these people who make fun of you. I hate these people who don't want anything to do with you. I hate these people who hate you. And what God wants him to understand is, I know about them, David. I made them too. Jesus died for them too. And so I need God to teach me. David did. I did. You did. You do. I need, I do, you do. I need to understand the problem of evil, Lord. Why do evil men seem to prosper? Why do bad things happen to good people? And bad people seem to just rock along. They hate you. They speak evil against you. And David's upset about it. He's grieving and he's sorrowing over it. The Pharisees would do the same thing. They would take the Bible and quote it and then do evil with it. I need to understand. Job chapter 11, the Bible says this. Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than the grave. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes by, imprisons and gathers to judgment, then who can hinder him, God? For he knows deceitful men. He sees wickedness also. Will he not then consider it? I need God to teach me that he is in control. And I got to trust him and realize that he's going to handle. My job is not to hate. My job is to love and to share my daddy with people who want nothing to do with him. Secondly, I need God to search me. Verse 23. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me, know my anxieties. The idea in Hebrew is dig to the very depths you've got to dig to find the valuable minerals that are underneath this dirt. Search me, God. Examine me so I can be what you want me to be. I want you, God, to evaluate me because I know I'm not perfect. And then finally, verse 24. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Teach me, search me, lead me. I want to be what you want me to be, Lord. I want to be everything that you created me to be. I want to read you as we wrap this up. I want to read you and then we're going to go into our time of communion together. I want to read you this quote from a young lady. Found it very helpful to me. About for us as Christians, understanding where we are. So please listen closely to this, and then we'll go into our time of the Lord's Supper together. She says, we've misdiagnosed our primary problem. As long as we keep the emphasis on us instead of on a higher vision, we will take small comfort from discussions of identity, and we will see little lasting change. Our primary problem as Christian, Christians is not that we lack self-worth, Not that we lack a sense of significance or purpose. It's that we lack awe. Awe helps us worry less about self-worth by turning our eyes first toward God, then toward others. It helps establish our self-worth in the best possible way. We understand our insignificance with creation and our significance to our creator. Without question, the subject of Psalm 139 is not us. Rather, it's a reflection on me, fearfully and wonderfully made. It's an extended and exquisite celebration of God, fearful and wonderful. Don't tell me who I am until you've caused me to gaze in, the, in, in awe at I am. There could be no true self-awareness apart from right, reverent God, awe of God. Jen Wilkins Wilkin wrote that. And I think it's so true whether it's Psalm 139 or whatever passage of Scripture that you might want to come to. 
God says, I want you to come away from it in awe of me and realizing how special you are to meet your father and then go share who I am with your world. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, we just thank you. As we close out our time together around the word, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. We thank you for how special it is that we as Christians are your children. That not only are you omnipotent, not only are you omniscient, and not only are you omnipresent, but when you put all those together, it means you are all that we need. That we need to just crawl up in your arms and be in awe of who our Father is and trust you. Lord, we commit our time around the Lord's table together and think even as, as the worship team leads us that Lord we will just simply spend this time thanking you for who you are and examining ourselves and asking each of us asking ourselves the question am I in awe of my father we pray in Jesus name amen as the worship team leads us I want you to spend that time alone as we talk praying with your father at the end of the song we're going to take the elements together bring the lights up as we get ready to close out our time together. You don't have to be a member of Christ Church to share with us in the Lord's Supper. Uh, if you're a believer, this is his table and we're thrilled that we can do this together. 
And I think the important thing for us to remember as we share communion together at the Lord's Supper is that it's an opportunity for us to corporately remember and then corporately proclaim and individually go out and proclaim our Lord's death till he comes back. So if you'll get your elements ready, sometimes opening them can be a challenge, but you get it ready. All right, in the same manner, excuse me, I have received from the Lord that which I ought to deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. We want people to know that we're Christians. Not to be ashamed, not to be embarrassed, that we love Jesus Christ. And our country desperately needs the hope that he provides. And we're going to start talking about that next week. That he is our only hope at a time when we desperately need it. Individually and nationally, Jesus Christ is our hope. I'm going to ask Steve to come up and close us in prayer. Just a couple of things I want to mention to you as he's coming up. Number one, remember, we've got to stack all the chairs up before we leave and get ready for tomorrow and give Chad and the boys a chance to spray them down. Then we'll stack the chairs and put them away. And again, I want to ask you to, con- to continue to-, to give to the church, and we appreciate your consistency and your giving that allows us to do all that we do. Just honor the Lord and give in uh, obedience to Scripture. Thank you, Steve. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I just thank you today. The message that brings you all to us today, Lord, just uh, the fact that you are so powerful and majestic.